from WBEZ Chicago. I'm Jen White, and this is Making Oprah. In this bonus episode, we're going to take a look at the role that politics played and didn't play in the history of The Oprah Winfrey Show. As we've talked about before on Making Oprah, The Oprah Winfrey Show became a place where viewers learned how to live their best lives. And over the history of the show, she talked to the audience about just about everything. Dating, the best pair of jeans for your body, racism, spirituality. But for more than 10 years after the show launched, Oprah deliberately avoided having politicians on her show. But in the latter half of the Oprah Winfrey Show's history, two future U.S. presidents would appear on stage with Oprah. I interviewed Oprah twice for this podcast, and part of our conversation focused on the times the show did step into the world of politics. That part of our conversation didn't make it into the three-part documentary, but it was so interesting that we wanted to put it out in this bonus episode. And keep in mind, this was recorded in late August 2016. Were there conversations being had behind the scenes about the show delving into the world of politics? Yeah, many conversations, because I didn't want to delve into the world of politics because I felt that I lost control of any situation where I was seated with a skilled politician. I can't get them to actually respond because a skilled politician knows how to give the answer they want regardless of what question you ask. That's the skill. They know how to interrupt you and and just go to write what they want. And so when you're dealing with somebody who is skilled that way, it's their game. They're using you and you're giving them the platform to be used. So if you had that much concern, what made you go ahead and have them on the show? Um, I ended up doing it knowing that I was going to concede the power and allow it to be whatever it was going to be. And we would just see what happened. By 2000, Oprah had the most successful magazine launch in U.S. history with O Magazine. It had a paid circulation of over 2 million readers. Meanwhile, her daytime talk show had tens of millions of loyal female viewers a week. Oprah had amassed an audience that any politician would kill for. For the first time, the show decided to give equal time to both major party presidential candidates in 2000 in what would turn out to be one of the closest elections in U.S. history, Republican George W. Bush running against Democrat Al Gore. Oprah told her viewers that her goal was to break down the political wall of sound bites and practiced answers. Here's how she explained it to her audience before one of the interviews. So my hope again today is to ask questions that will help reveal the real man so you can decide who feels like the right candidate for you. Al Gore came on the show first in September of 2000. He met Oprah on stage with a kind of half hug and a handshake. He filtered her questions and questions from the audience. And here he is explaining why he gave his wife, Tipper, a long, passionate kiss at the Democratic National Convention a few weeks earlier. What I felt was just uh, an overwhelming surge of emotion. I mean, it's not as if uh, I got there by myself. Mm -hmm. This has been a, a partnership and... She is my soulmate. 
all in all, Gore's appearance was fine. It was it was fine. No major missteps. He handled a question from the audience about why he looked so stiff. He got some guff from late night hosts for defending that kiss with Tipper at the DNC. But it was fine. But here's what happened when George W. Bush appeared on Oprah about a week later. Please welcome Republican presidential candidate and the governor of Texas, George W. Bush walks through the audience. He shakes a few hands. Then he walks up on stage, goes over to Oprah and plants a big kiss on her cheek. Now, it might be difficult to hear, but after Bush kisses her, Oprah says, oh, a kiss, in surprise. Then Bush laughs and says, yeah, I'm trying to win. Thank you. Thanks for the kiss. Let's talk about it's how... my t- pleasure. Oh, well, that's, <laughs> let's talk about how tight this race has become. That opening kiss uh, set the tone for the rest of the interview. Where Al Gore was polite... George W. Bush was confident and charming. Tell us about a time when you needed forgiveness. Tell me a story. Well, I'm, uh, uh, when my heart turns dark, mm-hmm. when I um, am jealous, or when I am spiteful. Uh, I'm looking for specifics. <laughs> <laughs> I know you are, but I'm running for president. <laughs> But beyond the joking around, Bush made an emotional case for why he was running. I want to know how you as George W. Bush define yourself. As a dad, as a husband, as a, um, a patriot, somebody mm-hmm. who loves America. Mm-hmm. I've been an entrepreneur. I've been a governor. But I'd like to be defined by uh, my by my heart. Mm-hmm. I want people to know I care a lot about our fellow citizens. I love my country. I love the people who live in America. I talked to Oprah about how Bush's performance on her show compared with Gore's. George Bush was more comfortable in his own skin in a way that he could be more of himself sitting in that seat. And that is what everybody is looking for. Whether it's television or politics or business Who you decide to align yourself with is the person who feels most like the truth to you. Either you feel it or you don't. And that's what the audience is resonating with. They're resonating with a kind of energy that's coming from you that feels most like them. And that is what George Bush was able to do. Following Bush's appearance with Oprah, a report in the UK Guardian newspaper summed it up. Quote, If ever mathematical proof was needed of Oprah Winfrey's importance to the nation, it was on obvious display this week. George W. Bush jumped in the space of a few days from a 10-point deficit in the opinion polls to a 1% lead. And the only thing anyone could remember him doing was kissing the country's favorite chat show hostess. End quote. George Bush went on to win that election, of course. I'm not saying that his appearance on The Oprah Winfrey Show was the only reason he won, but it certainly didn't hurt him, and it probably helped him. And it was clear that The Oprah Winfrey Show could be a powerful platform for politicians. Enter one Barack Obama. There is not a liberal America and a conservative America. There is the United States of America. In 2004, the young Illinois state senator addressed the Democratic National Convention. Maybe you saw it. 
Oprah certainly did. I was watching Barack Obama at the 2004 Democratic National Convention. I remember the exact moment, watching alone, feeling this man will be president of the United States. The pundits, the pundits like to slice and dice our country into red states and blue states, red states for Republicans, blue states for Democrats. But I've got news for them, too. We worship an awesome God in the blue states, and we don't like federal agents poking around in our libraries in the red states. We coach Little League in the blue states, and yes, we've got some gay friends in the red states. I felt it. I felt, I just felt it, that there was a knowingness inside myself. I'm not talking about blind optimism here, the almost willful ignorance that thinks unemployment will go away if we just don't think about it, or healthcare crisis will solve itself if we just ignore it. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about something more substantial. It's the hope of slaves sitting around a fire singing freedom songs. The hope of immigrants setting out for dif- distant shores. The hope of a skinny kid with a funny name who believes that America has a place for him too. I could feel that he was the one. I could feel that. And I started telling everybody Just like, you know, favorite things or finding something I like to eat. I started telling everybody I knew. Oprah was so impressed with Obama that she brought him on her show in 2006 when he was still the junior U.S. senator from Illinois. One of the values that I think we need to instill in our country, in our children, is the sense, are you useful? Mm -hmm. You know, uh, are you useful useful to other people? Are are you... making other people's lives a little bit better. That's uh, really good. And, and that's Oprah spread that, the word about you know, Senator Barack Obama to anyone who would listen. In May 2006, she threw a party that she called the Legends Ball to honor iconic African-American women, women like Maya Angelou, Diana Ross, and the actress and civil rights figure Ruby Dee. I had all of these legendary women come to my, my home, and we had a celebration for a weekend. With It was just the most wonderful celebration I've actually ever experienced. But I invited Barack Obama to be my special guest speaker. And nobody knew who he was. And I stood up then and said, this man will be president. And if I'm around when he runs for office, I will do whatever I can to support him. In 2008, when he was running, I was with Ruby D, who said, Oprah, girl, we didn't know who that was or what you were talking about. <laughs> <laughs> that guy with the funny name. We're like, what is she talking about? He's going to be president. America ain't going to have no black president. <laughs> and, and she says, I can't believe you knew that. You saw that. I said, no, I knew. I felt it. I felt it. I could feel that it was going to happen. When Barack Obama did eventually run for president, Oprah publicly endorsed a candidate for the first time. I felt compelled to do it. To be honest with you, because it came from such a pure, instinctive place, I didn't even think about it in terms of business or viewership or what it would do to the show or how it would affect any of my businesses. I I did not give it a thought. And... Because I didn't give it a thought, I was actually surprised by the, by the backlash I received. I went, oh, yeah, that's right. Up until this point, I've never said if I was 
Republican or Democrat. You know, I was I was surprised by some of the backlash, but worth it to me. Mm. Worth it. I, I would I wouldn't change it. During the 2008 election, Barack Obama and Joe Biden were facing off against Republican candidate John McCain and his running mate, a pretty much unknown governor from Alaska, Sarah Palin. So I had made a decision that because I had come out for Barack Obama, that the year 2008, I would not interview any of the presidential candidates on my show, period because everybody already knew where I stood, so that I could not ever be perceived as giving a fair interview to anyone. Some news organization published something that said, I was refusing to have Sarah Palin on the show. And that turned into, oh my goodness. Well, Oprah Winfrey put herself in the middle of the presidential race with her embrace of Barack Obama. She says that she will not be interviewing Republican vice presidential nominee Sarah Palin anytime soon. Last thing, the Obama campaign, they don't want her on there. I mean, like you said, her audience is very huge. Hundreds are chiming in on Oprah's website. They write, I've been a faithful viewer of yours for years, but today ends our relationship. If I were the Republican Party, what I'd do is I'd have a bunch of conservative women picketing Harpo Studios in Chicago saying, let her on. Sarah Palin was only the second female vice presidential candidate of a major political party in American history. And to some, it seemed odd that Oprah, a major American female icon, wouldn't have her on her show. The president of Harpo at the time, Tim Bennett, said, look, we have some sponsors. We're getting threatened that people are going to pull out of the show if you won't have Sarah Palin. I go, well, I, I never said I was going to have Sarah Palin on, and I'd be happy to have Sarah Palin on after the election. And I'm going to hold to that. And if people pull out, they pull out. But I have to hold to what I said I was going to do. Otherwise, you're now being pushed around by other people, and you're going to do it because of advertisers. So I said, well, I never thought it would go down like this, but if this is what's going to happen, it's going to happen. I got a call from Barack Obama during this time. He said, I hear you're being challenged, your people are giving you a hard time. He said, do what you need to do to protect your brand because I'm going to be okay. So Hmm. he goes, have her on. I go, have her on? He goes, have her on. Do whatever you need to do to protect your brand. And this is what I never forgot and has carried me even through this election. He said, because I'm going to be okay because the American people are going to get the president they deserve. How did you interpret that? And I interpreted it with, ultimately, the majority will decide. I will do the best that I can, and then whatever the majority decides, that is what the country actually deserves. Oprah did eventually have Sarah Palin on the show, like she said she would, a year after the election. By then, Barack Obama was firmly settled in the White House. Did you feel snubbed? Uh, No, but a lot of that, I guess, controversy was sort of on the periphery, going on unbeknownst to me, because I was quite focused on the day-to-day tasks at hand in the campaign. In May 2011, Barack and Michelle Obama appeared on The Oprah Winfrey Show as the president and the first lady. One has landed in Chicago. The 
by the time Obama ran for re-election in 2012, the megaphone of the Oprah Winfrey show was no longer available. The show went off the air less than four weeks after the Obama's appearance. The presidential mo- But Oprah remained closely connected to the president and his family. And when First Lady Michelle Obama gave what was billed as her final White House interview in December 2016, she gave it to, you guessed it, Oprah. Was there a time where you thought this period would also make or break you? When did you feel the most tested? You know, I, I, I think I tend to push the challenges. This is a defense mechanism that I've had throughout my life. You know, the bad stuff I just don't hold on to, you know? I mean, so if, if we were to sit here and you were to read through some Everything. of the bad stuff, yeah. I'd be like, oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, I forgot all about that's that. Right. It's like, oh, yeah, I think I was kind of mad then. <laughs> During the most recent election in 2016, Oprah didn't support a candidate the way she stumped for Barack Obama. She did make it clear, though, that she was supporting Hillary Clinton using Clinton's campaign slogan, I'm with her, during an interview in June 2016 with Entertainment Tonight. When I talked with her in August, she explained why she was staying more or less in the background. Throughout this entire election, people always say, why have you remained silent? First of all, I haven't felt that my voice would actually make a difference. I felt that at the time in 2008, my voice made a difference. So at this particular time, I think my voice is just going to be added to the cacophony of all the other voices, and now nobody knows who to even listen to. And it was, of course, a very noisy election. But it's startling to think that Oprah, one of the most influential people in the country, felt her voice might not break through the cacophony. I sat down with Oprah in August. It was two months before the election. We're releasing this podcast about five months after our conversation. Donald Trump is now the president-elect, and America is chest deep in debate over how the election might have been influenced by media outlets, by news, both real and fake, by Russian hackers. That cacophony doesn't seem to be getting any quieter. Donald Trump, by the way, was a guest on The Oprah Winfrey Show in the very early days. It was 1988, back when the show was more focused on booking celebrity guests and finding the right pair of jeans. Trump certainly qualified. As a celebrity, I mean. I don't really know if he wears jeans. Here's a bit of that appearance. You took out a full-page ad in uh, major U.S. newspapers uh, last year criticizing U.S. foreign policy. What would you do differently, Donald? I'd make our allies, forgetting about the enemies, the enemies you can't talk to so easily, I'd make our allies pay their fair share. We're a debtor nation. Something's going to happen over the next number of years with this country because you can't keep going on losing $200 billion, and yet we, we let Japan come in and dump everything right into our markets. and everything. It's not free trade. If you ever go to Japan right now and try to sell something, forget about it, Oprah. Just forget about it. It's almost impossible. They come over here, they sell their cars, their VCRs, they knock the hell out of our companies. And, hey, I have tremendous respect for the Japanese people. I mean, you can respect somebody that's beating the hell out of you, but they are beating the hell out of this country. This, this sounds like political presidential talk to me, and I know people have talked to you about whether or not you want to run. Would you, would you ever? Probably not, but I, I do get tired of seeing the country ripped Why off. Why would you not? I just don't think... 
I really have the inclination to do it. I love what I'm doing. I really like it. Also, I, it doesn't pay as well. No, it doesn't. <laughs> but, you know, I just probably wouldn't do it, Oprah. I probably wouldn't, but I do get tired of seeing what's happening with this country. And if it got so bad, I would never want to rule it out totally because I really am tired of seeing what's happening with this country, how we're, how we're really making other people live like kings, and we're not. You've said, though, that if you did run for president, you believe you'd win. Well, I don't know. I think I'd win. I tell you what, I wouldn't go in to lose. I've never gone in to lose in my life. And, and if I did decide to do it, I think I'd be inclined. I, w I would say that I would have a hell of a chance of winning. On the next Making Oprah, our third and final bonus episode, the Making Oprah team will sit down with one of our favorite interviews from this entire project, other than Oprah, of course, only a few minutes of it made it into our three-part series. But next time, we'll hear more from the man who hosted the longest-running continuous daytime talk show in television history, Phil Donahue. We'll cover his beginnings in Ohio to the end of his run in New York City. How did you know it was time? Well, it's a feeling, you know. You know, there's only so many times you can button up your shirt and put your tie on and jump out of a cake, you know. Next time on Making Oprah, it's Making Donahue. Making Oprah is a production of WBEZ Chicago. I'm Jen White. The producer is Colin McNulty with production help from Justin Bull. The show is mixed by Joe Dassault and the digital editor is Trisha Bobita. Our executive producers are Ben Calhoun and Joel Meyer. Make sure you're subscribed to Making Oprah on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. And while you're there, leave us a rating or a review. What you liked, if you want more of this sort of thing, it really helps. And if you want even more Making Oprah, go to wbez.org slash Oprah.